All right, welcome to this special edition, Tell Me More. We're in the studio with Dr. Dennis Wiles and Luke Steer, and I have asked them to help me understand, to tell me more about what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention, what's going on in New Orleans, how does it affect us, is it biblical? And so for you, the listener, the First Baptist Church Arlington member, I hope it's helpful. And I tried to ask questions that I think are all on our in the forefronts of our minds and um, stay tuned listen well and we enjoyed it we hope you do too okay well we are in the studio again uh, yes. making another episode this week <clears throat> um, i have called this meeting <laughs> we're so glad you have. Yeah, so essentially <laughs> what we're yeah, we're doing today is we know that there have been some big questions about uh, what a certain convention has done, what that does to our church. Um, so we just wanted to take an opportunity, as I said, as I thought about what I wanted this episode to be. I don't want to talk so much about what other people are doing so much as I want to talk about why we do what we do, but we're still going to... Contextualize it. Contextualize right? yeah. why we're talking about this now. Correct. So, Katie. Yeah. I has pulled us together for this. Well, I did. Okay. I texted last week and I said, okay, I'm getting lots of direct messages and mm-hmm. texts from good church people mm-hmm. that are genuinely curious, mm-hmm. you know, no access mm-hmm. to grind so much. Right. But they're saying, what's going on? How does this affect us? What, do we have to make any, is this calling our hand? Do we have to make decisions? Right. And, you know, I've tried my best to field what I can, but, uh, Pastor, I think. They do want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. It, well, if we had any any question about it, we posted, you did, Pastor, a pretty simple, um, I don't mean that like it was um, yeah, no in a good way. I mean, it, four or five, forward. straightforward yeah. is a better word, four or five sentences that affirmed what we have kind of, you know, ready, mm-hmm. steady for 35 years, Correct. Um, but about how we have women in our leadership, um, ebb and flow, DNA, mm-hmm. and it was shared. It was like the most shared Facebook post that we've ever posted as a church. And so there's something about this that's that has our people's attention. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that they have the right information mm-hmm. from the right people. Mm-hmm. And if they have questions, that we have a format here that we already understand how to use this podcast equipment and mm-hmm. put something in their ears. And so so I texted Luke and Dr. Wiles and I said, hey, how do y'all feel about a special edition, Tell Me More, which we've never done, to just talk about some of this and be able to dialogue where, you know, you might not want, Pastor, you might not want to create a four-page white paper right. to tell. I mean, you could. Right. And could. that, But I think a dialogue mm-hmm. where you can just answer some of our questions. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, so I'm going to try to play church member. And I'm going to try to think about these questions I've gotten sent mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. And maybe this can just provide a little bit of clarity for our people um, that are wondering, what's, right. what's going on? How does it affect us? Does this change us? Right. Does this change them? So. Uh, so we'll try to walk through that, if that's okay with y'all. Love it. Thank you. Great. So my first question is, what went on at the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting mm-hmm. last week in New Orleans mm-hmm. that's got everybody up in a stir? <laughs> I think Why is just, my Facebook blowing up? Way too many beignets uh, oh. and mm. chicory consumed uh, is what it sounds to me like. But, I'll uh, do it. Yeah. Um, Let's just take a minute yeah, I don't, I don't and, know. and just honor the French Quarter and all <laughs> its cuisine. Right. I'm not, I don't know mm. what it is about New Orleans and Southern it's Baptist, so but uh, I was there in 1990. Well, why don't you tell us about that? I mean, I'm serious <laughs> so, because there's yeah. some there's some Southern Baptist uh, recent history, right? That uh, that colors a lot of this. It does. So I mean, I don't want to spend forever on that. But there's and, even more further back. Yeah, it's correct. Yes. It's, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I'm talking about 
Yeah. Southern the Baptists are, are no strangers to controversy. Right. And know? so I don't want to um, spend too long build, right. building context because you're right. a church historian and right. you could spend the whole podcast on that. <laughs> but in the in the just go read my dissertation, you know, no big which can be found at <laughs> just in email us. Yeah. Katie dot Hodges at FBC and org. If you would it's like actually available electronically. I know I you've we've been yeah, working on that. So as a staff. Unfortunately so, when I wrote it, it was a little different time. Well, not quite a typewriter. <clears throat> no. But not far no, from it, that's right? right. Okay. Well, so I mean, real short, mm-hmm. in the ni- in the eighties, basically. Yes. There was a what Correct. we would call a takeover. Correct. Started in nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. And uh, it was a it was a politically organized uh, takeover of the structure of our national convention, and um, and it's somewhat of a on the one hand a little bit complicated polity because it in technically it's a little bit challenging for some people to understand this, but from um, a um, I guess the technical perspective, um, Southern Baptists are not actually a denomination. We're a convention of churches, which is a little different Ooh. than the United Methodist Church. The United Methodist yeah. Church is a which denomination. Is what I grew up in. Yeah. Yes. The Roman Catholic Church is a denomination. And we see the complications of that. That's right. right? Southern Baptists, however, however, we chose uh, to organize ourselves around what's called the associational method. And it ends up with a convention, and the convention is comprised of voluntarily cooperative churches. Um, and so there is, so in other words, there's no hierarchy theologically that exists in Southern Baptist life. Right. They couldn't. They couldn't issue an edict and shut us down. Correct. So we're, we're confessional. We're seeing Methodists struggle with that a lot right. of that. <clears throat> okay. We're not creedal. We're confessional, and so there's a voluntary cooperation. So it makes it a little bit dicey. And then you have. Um, also, in our polity, the way where it really gets um, challenging for us is we have institutions that are owned by the Southern Baptist Convention, and they're overseen by boards of trustees. So, when you say institutions, such like as Southwestern Seminary, the IMB, the International Mission Board, yeah. or so, what used to be called the Home Mission Board, can we paint a little yeah. bit of a landscape for mm-hmm. the listener? So, because we honestly, in this day and age, we don't do a lot with Southern Baptists. The, we have a loose association, right? We are connected with the International Mission yeah. Board, but there's six um, Southern Baptist mm-hmm. seminaries across the U.S. Correct. Southwestern, obviously, being the one we Correct. have the most to do mm-hmm. with, right? The one we've been most <clears throat> emotionally tied to. Well, you're you got you two know, degrees from I there, do. and so, so do many of our mm-hmm. elder. And it started many of our staff. Actually, yeah, not just the elders. Yeah, it started we as can a, name several as a Texas Baptist institution. Southwestern was birthed out of First Baptist Waco. B.H. Carroll was the pastor at First Baptist Waco, and he was a tad controversial in his day because he had been divorced, remarried, and they had women deacons at First Baptist Waco. So you're back in the early 1900s, late 1800s. And so B.H. Carroll was concerned that there weren't enough, there was no way to, nowhere for Southern Baptist uh, seminary students to be trained west of the Mississippi River. The only seminary was in Louisville, Kentucky. Which is Southern and, Seminary, right? right. But its yeah. technical name is the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Oh. That's the actual name of it. Okay. So, in other words, when I'm it was organized, I'm, I'm learning. Yes, okay. It's the only one. You know, it was, Got it. It was, it it was, was the Southern Baptist it was, Seminary. It was it. I never knew that. So, B.H. Carroll started one and basically um, moved it to Fort Worth to give it to Texas Baptists. That's really how it all started. Huh. And then eventually, 1908, I think it was, um, we decided that it would be better off to actually be owned by the Southern Baptist Convention. So these institutions, um, like the Religious Liberty Commission or things like that, that that serve our interests in other arenas, not just in education, 
the Southern Baptist Convention owns them and operates them with boards. Well, the way you are placed on a board of any institution for Southern Baptists is you are elected by the messengers from the cooperating churches at the annual meeting annually. So the annual meeting mm-hmm. votes on these trustees. Correct. It kind of runs, it and, runs the thing. And when you're okay. elected to a trustee position, it's a nine-year appointment. Okay. And so, but the way to be nominated to be on one of these boards, your name has to be placed in nomination by an entity called the Committee on Nominations. Okay. And the way you are placed on the Committee on Nominations is you are selected by the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. To be on the Committee on for the committee nominations. Nominations. So then that's hand-picked by the, hand-picked by the president? by the president. A lot of and power it, there. And it is, and you have to have representatives from every state convention. Okay. On that committee? On that committee How on nominations. How many state conventions are there? Uh, well, there's 50 states, but we probably have about 30 state conventions. So that, I would that guess com- 35. So okay. that committee is quite large. It's a large committee. Yeah. Um, but so the president of the Southern Baptist Convention is an honorary title. You're elected by the messengers. Historically, has been a pastor for the most part. Occasionally, a seminary president is elected president, but for the most part, it's mostly been pastors. And they don't leave their job to go do that. Correct. It's a voluntary it's job. So in between the meeting of the annual meeting of Southern Baptists, you actually have a, a group called the executive committee, and the executive committee has a president, and that's a paid position. And the executive committee is the Southern Baptist Convention legally every other day of the year. Got it. And acts on behalf of the convention. And their president. Their president is a paid It's a employee, full-time employee. Correct, so that time. person that is really person kind of functionally Absolutely. ahead of Kind of it. leads the convention. Yeah, okay. But the president of the convention appoints the committee of nominations. The committee of nominations then presents all the nominees for every institution. The messengers approve them. Nine-year terms. So one of the, uh, back in the late 60s, early 70s, actually, um, there was a judge in Houston who was a politician, he was a judge, obviously, who studied the polity of our convention and decided if you wanted to, quote unquote, take over the Southern Baptist Convention, here's how you would have to do it. You would have to get your person elected president for 10 years consecutively so that each one of those presidents would nominate the right people to be on the committee of nomination. They would in turn nominate the right people the to be on the boards and then the, they would be elected. And so 1990 was the celebration when they had— uh, They did they, it. They had done it. They, they did that a, very their, thing you just their described. Their president had been elected 11 years in a row. And he— not, and he different individuals. You only served two terms, only two but years. But always handpicked by Always handpicked this by this group of team, people. Correct. The judge and you his posse. Correct. And so eventually what happened was— It's called the Pressler-Patterson Right. I was about to say, do we way. want to name names? Right. The judge is Paul judge Pressler. Paul Pressler yeah. and, and the theologian was, was Paige Patterson who was the associate pastor of First Baptist Dallas, and he was the president of Criswell College. <clears throat> I know a little bit about this because I wrote my dissertation on right, this Right, we could talk for and, a long time. And, uh, Which, and, you know, there's probably not an audio version of your dissertation. So let this, let this last <laughs> and, uh, uh, this five minutes. the cliff notes. Let, the, let this last eight to 11 minutes be that. <laughs> well, it's the only scholarly document that actually has transcripted interviews with Paul Pressler and Paige Patterson as to how they did this. And we, so that's part of my dissertation. We got to wow. take this show on the road. So anyway, <laughs> um, so I happened to be in New Orleans for the convention in 1990, and uh, we were at Cafe Dumont. And, um, and what we didn't know was that night was a huge celebration. You and your brother. My brother. You kind of stumbled sorry, upon it, my right? Brother, yeah, we just, my brother pastored in New Orleans for years and went to seminary there. So we just went there to have, went to the quarter just to have coffee and donuts yeah, that night. like everybody else does. And next thing you know, we were in the middle of a huge celebration that the convention had been taken over 
by this um, one of the streams, one of the rivers that one of the streams that feeds the river of the uh -huh, convention, if you will. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So anyway, so um, so in 1990, this takeover uh -huh. is successful. Successful. <laughs> by their so measure. you move the convention all uh, in a in a rightward move. I mean, here's the thing: no self-respecting liberal true liberal would be a Southern Baptist. I mean, that's almost a joke. Right. It's all, but it's all relative with, within. <laughs> but yeah. the Southern Baptist Convention was ordaining women yes. to the ministry in yes. the 1960s. It was what yes. we would call centrist, oh, moderate. Yeah. Correct. Right. It, like I said. It was it. B.H. Carroll had women deacons in 1908 at yeah. First Baptist Wake Up. I think that is helpful for us to contextualize this. Right. So, like, it's not right. a liberal drift. No, they no. were. Yeah. No, there was a reactionary move to centrism Correct. in 19. Late seventies that then launched this plan yes. that led to nineteen ninety even yeah. further to the right, right. So, and so it yeah. forced a lot of. Uh, unfortunately, what happened was um, you had people who were, I would say, centrist, maybe a little bit left of center, um, left the convention and organized a new entity called the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Our pastor emeritus was one of the charter members of the Cooperative Baptist Dr. Fellowship, Doctor Wade. Dr. Wade, but very. They were still very much within the mainstream of who Southern Baptists oh, had always been. Yeah, they're so trying they to preserve this. Ultra liberals, this. No, right? They had to... a liberal wing, but they didn't carry the day. It was people yeah. like Keith Parks, and I mean, just some of the, some of yeah, our Charles leaders, Wade, Doctor Wade. It was the DNA of Charles Wade. <laughs> yes, and so, so mm -hmm. but I unfortunately, be part of that. over time, what happens many times is when movements like that, denominations start to splinter from each other, they lose the tension. That uh, holds them in they, place. And so they get extreme. And then the, just keep the extremes pull them. That's yeah. what happens. So that's happened. So we've so seen that. CBF has we become, have, well, opinion, I don't, yeah. It's left of me. It's right. left of our church. It's probably a little bit too left for us to really Correct, fellowship with them. I don't want to, so, and, I, and right, the Southern Baptists right. continue to drift they continue to a little too right good for thing us is, to fellowship with them. We've had Texas Baptists, and so we've been able to live in a centrist denomination that and has Texas rejected Baptist both And Texas Baptists lives extremes. with attention. You got it. Because there's a lot of different churches in the Texas Baptist sphere. Yeah. So, so Southern Baptist <coughs> meeting in New Orleans this year. I quit going to the Southern Baptist Convention. My goodness, after I came here to be the pastor of this church, um, just in just because. One, of, yeah, I came, came here in oh one. Yeah, um, I would say the last one I went to was about oh five or oh six, if I remember correctly, somewhere in there. Yeah. So I've not been attending Southern Baptist conventions in a long time. I have found my life in the Texas Baptist world. So over time. The conversation has shifted. In the 1970s, the conversation was primarily built around the interpretation of the Bible or the understanding of the nature of the Bible is a better way to put it. At least that was the presenting issue, the inerrancy of the Bible, as it was referred to mm -hmm. in those days. When actually there was a, uh, in my opinion, there was just a political motivation that was a power struggle that had to do with methodology more than theology. Huh. That's yeah, that's what it sounds it. like. Um, because most everyone within the convention was theologically conservative. Uh, but good people lost their jobs in those days. Dr. Russell Dilday, who just died, yeah. one of my heroes, lost yeah. his job yeah. over it. Famously uh, lost yes, his job. Yes. They locked so, the doors on him, right? Yes. So, uh, but anyway, somehow we've found a way to navigate. However, um, in the recent iteration, the conversation is centered now around the interpretation of the scripture regarding women in particular and their okay. ability to serve in the church in positions of leadership. Yes. Another thing that's happened in Southern Baptist life, which hasn't really been talked about very much, um, is there has been a movement among some Southern Baptists, which again, we've always had, we've always had broad representation across the life of the Southern Baptist Convention. 
But historically, Southern Baptists have not had elders in their churches. Mm -hmm. They've had pastors and deacons. Elders came more of an independent fundamentalist background or Bible church background or whatever. Um, But now there are more and more Southern Baptist churches that do have elders. And so, you know, um, over time, the question has arisen, what role can a woman play? And so the more conservative wing of the Southern Baptist Convention was represented in New Orleans to basically make the decision. It, it, it actually began a couple of years ago um, to say that the role of a woman had to be restricted to um, um, a pastor. I mean, anybody, you can, you can, let me rephrase it. A woman could not serve as a pastor, if you will, can have that yeah. title. Title-wise. Correct. I mean, that's what they've been focusing that's on, right? right. <clears throat> so the Baptist Faith and Message now, the new one even says that, you know, that it's, it's reserved. A woman can serve as a deacon, but not really serve as a pastor. But over the last few years, the question has been, what do you mean by that? Yeah. You know, who's the, who is the pastor in a church? And what about elders and overseers? And, and, and can, so, can you tell us a little bit about this list that has gone around? Because I've seen it, but it's yeah. not officially sanctioned, no, right? No, it's not. There's a pastor in Virginia who decided to do a bunch of research. And basically what he did, as I understand it, at least that's what I've been told, is that just did some research looking for the title pastor of any church, in, in, in any, any Southern Baptist church, where the— I looked at it yesterday. Yeah. They surveyed 3,800 3, churches on the Southern Baptist website and basically just looked at their listed job positions. Okay. So it's a, it's a website. Yeah. So in other words, Scouring. if you have, if, if, if you're, if you were called the pastor for congregational life, right. you would have made that list. However, our church is not on the list. No. Because, because none of our lady ministers correct. have the title of pastor. It's fascinating. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit reductionist, I think, yeah. because Fielder and Lake Church are on there, mm-hmm. you know, kind of sister churches mm-hmm. here in town, because of just the titles right. of their ministers. Without, without the, even looking at their theological. Right. The fact that they might ordain them or yeah. the role that the women play within right. their staff. So it's, so it's a... it's a, Yeah. But I do want to clarify, too, I think the Southern Baptist Convention as an entity did not ask this guy to go. No, no, no. no. This it, was an it's not a team that, that they've right. voted on to go scour the internet no, and make a hit list. official commission. Because no. it's, it doesn't make them look great. I mean, no. I just want to clarify. Yeah, that's they, not it's what just happened. almost like a keyboard warrior that, that decided to do this. Correct. You know? Correct. And so, so it's, made it's it, not the it, finest Made it even worse document. than it is, yeah, to be honest with you. I think so. And because the genuine convictions of of some of the Southern Baptist leaders, I, I have a great deal of respect for that. I honor that. I, I think you, you've got to come to your own conviction about what the Bible teaches. But then when you choose to apply it, I think that's where the challenge comes. And historically for us, we have centered around our commitment to mission, not our common theological heritage. And so um, there's been enough agreement theologically to where we've allowed room for tension to exist. That's what's been eroding over the last 50 years in Southern Baptist life, unfortunately. So, for example, if you go back to 1845 when the Southern Baptist Convention was organized um, in Augusta, Georgia, it was May of 1845, First Baptist Church of Augusta is where they originally met. Well, the Baptists in the South were comprised primarily of two theological threads, the separate Baptists and the regular Baptists. First Baptist Charleston, oldest church in the South, oldest Baptist church in the South. It's a regular Baptist church. Regular Baptists were Calvinistic. They had um, they they loved confessions of faith. All their preachers and leaders were men, um, and um, and they they were very ordered 
and their understanding of how church was supposed to operate. I mean, as the old joke is, they were called regular Baptists because they were very regular. <laughs> but you mm-hmm. also had a whole nother group of Baptists in the South that came out of the Sandy Creek tradition. They were separate Baptists. Separate Baptists were um, non-confessional. Oh, oh, and regular Baptists, their 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 ministers were all seminary trained. Separate Baptists had they they had a little suspicion about seminaries, so they weren't usually seminary trained. They were um, very modified Calvinists to the point of really you wouldn't recognize them as Calvinists today. Um, they had women preachers, women teachers, women elders, women deacons in their churches. And um, regular Baptist preachers always were robed as clergy. Separate Baptists didn't wear robes. It was one of their lines of demarcation. Those two groups of Baptists came together in the South to organize the Southern Baptist Convention. So guess what they didn't do? They didn't They didn't adopt a confession of faith in 1845. In fact, they'll go 80 years before they adopt a confession of faith. Absolutely. Not until 1925. So we existed as a convention for 80 years without ever having making, without ever making a theological statement. And the reason we didn't is because we couldn't. Um, it, it would have to have been really broad. And so when we finally did it, we had to borrow it from the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. Um, and that's really what happened in 1925. Yeah. But regardless, we gathered around mission. We gathered around taking the gospel to the world. That's the primary impetus for Southern Baptists um, even beginning in the first place in terms of, of, of uniting themselves in their efforts. And so what's happened is we've turned, and some people say, well, we had to do it sooner or later or whatever the argument is. But we've we've become much more theologically oriented, if you will. Sometimes that produces ideologues, if you will. And so then it begins to reduce the number of people who can actually cooperate together, particularly if you start uh, exercising the theological commitment from a hierarchical perspective, which some Baptists would reject just out of hand, no matter how good it is. If that makes sense, just and some Baptists, yes, we yeah. just look at this and say, out of principle, we're not going to do that. I'm not in favor of that, even though I agree with every every statement that you've just made. Yeah. If you're going to use it as a weapon, then I'm not going to be yeah. involved in it. it. So, yeah. okay. so over time, you know, you you have issues that need to be dealt with, and some of the issues were legitimate issues. We had issues in the '60s. My goodness, how could you go through the 1960s and early '70s in America without having some theological conversation? You know, um, it was inevitable, if you will. But we we navigated that pretty well in the '60s and early '70s. But the the more political approach that was introduced in 1979 was a new thing for us. You know, you'd never really had campaigns for presidents of the convention that had never yeah. occurred before. Fascinating. And fundamentalist conservative men had been elected presidents of the convention many times. W. A. Criswell, sorry, W. A. Criswell was elected the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, who's a very conservative pastor. So it's not like conservative pastors were being left out of right. the right. process. So, anyway, so yeah, um, well, that's, I mean, the context is super helpful, I think. Mm-hmm. So last week, at, mm-hmm. or two weeks ago now, yeah. at the Southern Baptist Convention, <laughs> right. this amendment is proposed. That's right. Is well, that there, right? Were two, there were two things that happened. Okay. One of them was um, a couple of years ago, again, the question about women arose, women being pastors, elders, deacons, um, and so um, one of our very famous churches, um, the largest church in the Southern Baptist Convention, is in Saddleback, where Rick Warren's been the pastor. Yeah. Rick has come to some different conclusions later in his ministry life about women in ministry. But secondly, Rick retired and Andy Wood became the, the new pastor. Andy and Andy, and uh, as the pastor, named 
I, I, or I guess the church that I'm not sure his wife is one of the teaching pastors. It was very controversial to some folks that Saddleback, the largest church in our convention, would have a woman teaching pastor, which means she's preaching on Sunday morning in a in a mixed group setting. If that makes sense, right? And so that is spiritual which for them has crossed the line. Correct, spiritual authority yeah. is where it is, mm-hmm. and then and those kinds of folks being ordained into ministry became very controversial. So that led to well, should we even allow them to seat their messengers anymore at our convention? In other words, if Saddleback sends messengers to the convention, you have an entity called the Credentials Committee. The Credentials Committee's responsibility is to enforce the constitution of the convention regarding um, your ability to serve as a voting messenger. So people challenged the credentials of the messengers from Saddleback is what happened. So that led to official action. So the executive committee this past year considered the request from the credentials committee and the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention said the paid entity. Yeah, they said yes, the 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 paid it's it's a group of volunteers, but it's led by a paid person. Gotcha. But they are the Southern that is the Southern Baptist Convention legally. Okay. So they the executive committee voted and said we will uphold this recommendation from the credentials committee and that is the messengers from Saddleback may not be seated at our next convention. They also had two other churches that they came to the same conclusion on. One of them had to do with the, what um, what they said the, this church was in violation of the sexual ethic that's been adopted. That is, in other words, if you've got sexual predators or anybody that's had any kind of sexual abuse serving, you know, in a, an official capacity as a, you know, a staff member, pastor, whatever your church, you're out of fellowship with the convention. The other church was a church that actually has a woman serving as the senior pastor, and she's been there for, I think, 33 yeah, years, if I remember correctly. So you had three churches that the executive committee had said, we won't seat your messengers. Now, each one of those churches were notified, and then each church filed an appeal. Well, when you file your appeal with the executive committee, it gets referred to the actual Southern Baptist Convention itself, which it only exists three days a year. So it was appealed to the messengers. And when you appeal, you get a three-minute um, appeal, public okay. appeal. Okay. And so each one of those <laughs> churches gave a public appeal at the convention. So um, one of the, I think he was a deacon from the church that was accused of having someone on there, you know, pastoring that violated the sexual abuse policies of the convention. The pastor of the the lady who's pastoring her church, she had an appeal. And then Rick Warren even though Rick's retired technically from Saddleback, he's the founding pastor. He did and the so appeal. He did the appeal. So each one of those folks gave an appeal. When they gave their appeal, there was a rebuttal from the um, executive committee. The executive committee named someone to rebut the appeal. And so the rebuttal was made, and one by one, a vote was taken. And uh, they were all voted on by ballot because that's required on that particular vote. So in other words, you got an actual ballot and, you know, yes, we want to uphold the credentials committee or an executive committee or no, we're siding with the appeal, if you will. And so I think the two of the votes were up in the mid nineties percentile and, you know, to uphold the executive committee. Um, Rick Warren's uh, appeal was like 88%, if I remember correctly. And so in other words, all three of these churches were, I guess you could say disfellowshipped. The more technically correct way to put it for us, because we're not actually a denomination, right. we refuse to seat it. their messengers That's at an how annual that works. convention. But they the, can no longer vote. That is correct. But they the are, implication of that, 
I mean, yeah, if you can't, if your messengers can't, that means you're out of fellowship. Yeah, because yeah, okay. that's what it. To be in fellowship, right. you have messengers. So to to make you feel a, make you feel better, that's not the right way to put it. I don't think, but to but to be more correct, there was also a recommendation to the executive committee that the constitution of the Southern Baptist Convention be changed to basically codify um, language that prohibits a woman from serving as a senior pastor, as an elder, as an overseer of any type in any church. Okay? Regardless of title? Regardless of title. Now, so that was recommended? That That's recommended. The executive committee um, acted on that recommendation and asked the convention to disapprove it. Okay. Okay. So in other words, the executive committee was not in favor of that amendment, if that makes sense. Now, the executive committee was in favor of disfellowshipping these other those churches. Three. But when it came but to amending mind, the Constitution. That's right. In their mind, those churches were out of fellowship either with the Baptist faith and message or the Constitution of the convention. Okay. Right. So what I thought was fascinating was the the amendment that was brought to the convention was actually given to the executive committee and the executive committee acted unfavorably toward it. Yeah. Which means the convention then, when they got ready to act on this, someone reworded the amendment and placed it in more positive language rather than negative language. Okay. But it basically is the same thing. But it's affirming men in those. I mean, That's something right. like that. It's basically okay. just saying what, what roles they, I forgot how it was worded, but nevertheless, I watched it all. So I was watching it online because yeah. I wanted to hear it for myself. But so what was fascinating was so you've got the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention saying we've gotten this amendment and we're recommending that you don't approve it. And the convention votes overwhelmingly to approve it. <laughs> mm. Okay. And but you can't change the constitution on the floor of the convention in one meeting. Which, okay. If you think about it, it makes sense. That is a good that's thing. A good move. Same yeah. thing is true for us as a church. For anybody that's a member of First Baptist Arlington, yeah. we have a constitution. You can't change it on the floor of a of a business in one meeting. meeting. No, you can't. Yeah. It has to be enacted over several meetings. So for the Southern Baptist Convention, this this um, amendment has been recommended. The executive committee has been overruled by the actual messengers of that convention. Okay. But the only way for this to be codified is, again, next year it has to be ratified. And it has to be, a three, I think, a 75% vote. Uh, and then it will actually become... The, the rule for Southern Baptists. So in other words, it's it's pending. So I've got two questions, and you mm -hmm. can choose which way to go. One. I hope that's not too confusing for everybody, but that's that's really the gist of what happened. I don't happened. think it's confusing. Uh, if you're still with us. Yeah. If you're still with us for <laughs> 30 minutes of Baptist policy. No, no, I mean, that's why we. No. this is the it's reason that no. we're here. But I have two questions for it, and I, I don't know which way we want to go. Because mm -hmm. one is, if next summer this is ratified. Correct. What happens to us right. and our relationship with the right. Southern Baptist Convention, which right. I think is a question people Correct. are asking. The Absolutely. other question I have is, on what biblical basis are they founding this, mm -hmm. and are they right? Right. You know. I would say, the, let me so take which, the first one yeah. first. I, I'm not sure about exactly yeah. what's going to happen. It'll just remain to be seen. We, you know, because, again, this is a voluntary relationship, but it's a very longstanding relationship. Our church has been here since 1871. So the Baptist Convention has been in existence since 1845. Our entire existence as a church, we have been somewhat affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention, and we have all kinds of layers of connections with with SBC life that aren't necessarily related to the executive committee and to some of these power plays and hierarchical things that have been decided. Our relationship is primarily around people missions. in our church. That's right. It's people, and we're connected to the International Mission Board. And we also still support Southwestern Seminary. And the reason we do 
is because we have so many students that continue to be a part of our family that have been a part of Southwestern. So we're very targeted. We don't we do not support the Southern Baptist Convention financially um, in 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 uh, in a general way. So in other words, when you give your money to our church, the only money that goes to the Southern Baptist Convention goes to Texas Baptist first, and then we direct Texas Baptist in how to send our money to the Southern Baptist Convention. It's all targeted. It only supports designated. Every penny we give to the Southern Baptist Convention is designated. And it goes through Texas it Baptist. It goes through to get Texas there. Baptist first, and then we support some targeted entities in Southern Baptist life is all we do. Yeah. But that still keeps us connected. Okay. Second question though, are they right? Well, here's the thing. The scripture, first of all, I would say this. I believe in the authority of the Holy Scripture. Amen. Period. Inspired, authoritative. It's inspired, it's authoritative. It's the word of God. Yep. Shapes our life. So 66 books inspired by God. So I, I believe in all of them. However, conversations about the authority of the Bible do require biblical interpretation. So we have to interpret the Bible. W.T. Connor, longtime professor of theology at Southwestern Seminary, used to say, let the Bible say what it says, let it mean what it means. God has already given us what it says. Now, it's in our hands to determine what it means. So we have to yeah. interpret. It's our job. And so when it, when it comes to the conversation about women, you have some passages in the New Testament that can seem on first blush very prohibitive, patriarchal in their perspective. And um, and prohibitive on the face of them, but but that's also true in a, with a lot of texts in the scripture that we have to discuss. Some of them continue to be that way, and there's nothing we can do about it. So, for example, if you want to have a conversation about human sexuality, which that's also another conversation going on today, sure. when you're studying the scripture, you look for trajectory. You look for plain spoken texts. Once you move past the plain spoken text, then you have to go to trajectory. Right. And the so trajectory, if it's not just spelled not, out for that's us. That's right. Then you've got to look for clues, <laughs> perspective, trajectory. And so when it comes to human sexuality, the trajectory doesn't change from Old Testament to New Testament. Okay. Okay. There's some things specifically prohibited in the Old, prohibited in the Old Testament. They're even further prohibited in the New Testament. I would recommend Richard Hayes' book, The Moral Vision of the New Testament, if you have any question about it. Brilliant, Brilliant New Testament theologian. He's forgotten more Greek than all three of us in this room together. He was together. at Duke for some time. Right? Correct. Duke, yeah, he's dean retired, at Duke Divinity retired School. Retired now. Yeah. Um, he has probably the best take, most honest take on the New Testament and Old Testament teachings on human sexuality that's ever been written in English from my perspective. Second, conversation about women. The trajectory about women is very different, though. The trajectory from Old Testament to New Testament and beyond is, is very positive in its direction. There's just no question about that. There are just too many passages in the New Testament that cause you to have to pause and contextualize the prohibitive passages, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and you've got to do your homework to understand those because what do you do with passages like if you say, so let's say, for example, you're very strict and you say, well, I just don't think a woman can even be a deacon in a church, okay? That's that's okay. I mean, that, if that's your perspective and you think you're you're gaining that biblically, the only thing I would say to you is— Romans 16. Yeah, the, yeah, there's one specific passage of Scripture you've got to deal with, and that's Romans 16, where Phoebe is referred to as a deaconess in the church in Sincrea. And it is the it is the Greek word that's used there. So some people translate that and say, well, maybe she was a servant. Which, but is, every, every, I mean, which is okay. But you're going to, that's the translation for deacon anywhere. Anywhere. That's right. right. It could I always mean, mean that. You could say that for any of right. that. Yeah. So, so why would Paul give prescriptions in First Timothy about the requirements for somebody to serve as a servant? It's the same word, but he gives prescriptive uh, words about somebody who's going to serve as a deacon 
Okay. And so Phoebe's referred to as a deacon uh-huh. in Romans 16. Take that over. Just let that sit for a minute. So, wow. Okay. First of all, you know, Paul's a wordsmith. Paul is, we've already, we've already established the that. The man never uses the word unintentionally. <laughs> That's right. We've established that. The man's brilliant. He could have used any word he wanted to use. He could have used the word doulos, which was one of his favorite words for servant, slave. He uses it about himself. He doesn't. He uses the word deaconess or deacon, actually, diakonos. Then in First Timothy, he gives you a prescription. And when you read First Timothy, some people read that as prohibitive for right. women. Right. Let's you talk know, about that. You've got yeah. permit a woman to speak. Yeah. Overseers. Paul says, if you're going to be an overseer, which we would can, many of us would call a pastor today, episkopos is a Greek word, but an overseer, well, that's a noble thing. It's a great thing. And if you're going to be an overseer, overseer he says, here's the requirements. Then he says, likewise, deacons. And he gives you a set of prescriptions. Then he says, likewise, gune, women. And he gives a whole nother set of prescriptions. Okay, what do you do with that? Overseers, deacons, women. Well, what what women? Which women are you talking about? And so some people say, well, he's talking about deacons' wives. So that's how it can be translated by some okay. people. So overseers, likewise, deacons, likewise, deacons' wives. wives. But But the deacons is always in italics to let you know that's not in the text. The word gune can mean wife, but it can also just mean woman. So if you want to look at the structure of the text, if Paul's going to give prescriptions about the deacon's wives, why wouldn't he give prescriptions about the pastor's wives? You would think he would do the opposite. If he's going to talk about a wife in a church who has a position of authority, mm-hmm. talk about the, top, the, yes, right? the overseer's wives, yeah. not the deacon's wives, but that's not what he does. So in other words, what that tells me is Paul's talking about a category of women in leadership in the church, or why else would he care about how they behave? Yeah. So there's some um open door there to women in leadership all the way back in Ephesus in the first century, AD 60, you know, when Paul's writing this. So I'm having to ask, I'm again, I'm having to contextualize this. This is the first century patriarchal society. I get it. But there are women that are already now given certain prescriptions about how they should live and behave because they're playing a role in leadership in the church. Okay. Then you have Junia, who's referred to as an apostle. Yes. What do you do with that? Right. And even early church theologians like Tertullian and Origen, they don't, because there are some who read that passage, and I'm looking at it right now, it's Romans 16, 7, mm-hmm. and they say, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, which, by the way, if your translation says Junius, please go update your Bible. Right. Because that's a debunked that's translation. Right. It's Junia. It is Junia. Mm-hmm. Um, which is Ju- a, a woman's name. Yeah, there's no such male name as Junius mm-hmm. uh, in the entire Greek Correct. Roman world. Mm-hmm. Um, so my fellow Jews who have been in prison, in prison with me, they are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. So some interpreters who want to diminish women's roles will say that just means the apostles thought she was outstanding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But even in the early church readings of this text, which typically were not pro women by the year 300. Exactly. Think of her as an apostle. They say how outstanding this woman must have been that she was called an apostle Mm -hmm. of Jesus. That's right. So. And then you have you have churches that met in women's homes, which you have those texts. I mean, I've got a whole listing of them, um, you know. And what do you do with Priscilla and Aquila? I mean, Priscilla and Aquila are co-workers of Paul's and, and Apollos. Um, if it's uh, uh, in Acts 18, Apollos has a limited understanding of the gospel. And guess who corrects it? Priscilla and Aquila. So um, ladies, this Priscilla is going to oversee the theology of Apollos. 
And then you have, so some people say, well, no, wait a minute. Let's go back to First Timothy. A deacon's a husband and one wife. True. I think, again, what Paul is, is, is advocating for here is that, th that these are going to be stable people. That's the point. They've got stability in their homes. They've got stability in their lives. Therefore, that can be translated over stability in the leadership of the church. You need mature people in leadership. Mm -hmm. um, so if you want to get too strict with that, then that if you say, well, a deacon's got to be a husband and one wife, then that means a single person can never be a deacon. If you have a deacon in your church and his wife dies, then he has to resign as being a deacon because yeah, you know, he's no longer married. Well, again, yeah. I think Paul is painting a, a picture that's strict enough to make sense, but has enough flexibility for us to understand that there's some allowances here that are still, in my opinion, within the realm of being understanding the authority of the Bible. Right. And so, huh. and then you have, you have, I mean, when Paul says things like there's neither male nor female, well, he's not saying that our genders don't exist. I believe what Paul is saying is that in the church, something is happening in the church. It doesn't happen anywhere else in society. All of these cultural norms that separate us and divide us outside the church, they melt away in the church. And so men and women are called into leadership. Women accompanied Jesus in his ministry. Women were the very first messengers of the resurrection. Women were the people who paid for the ministry of Jesus. Those are all clues in my New Testament that something's afoot here. That's the trajectory argument. Mm -hmm. Something's going on. Jesus was very particular. Why would he allow women to travel with him? Why would he allow women to support his ministry if he wanted to send a clear message that women have no role in the life of the church? It makes no sense to me. It's, it's, I heard Billy Graham once say one time, every liberated woman, and this is spoken back in the 70s, so you got to give Billy you know, freedom here. He said, every liberated woman in the world ought to go thank Jesus, you know, even if they're not a Christian, because Jesus is the one who constantly uplifted the role of he women. Away. And, um, yeah. and, and I know Paul gets a lot, of, <clears throat> a lot of criticism, but I think Paul does the same thing. Paul says, like, even when he says, let a woman learn from her husband at one point, why would anybody care about a woman learning in that society? Paul did, you know, and Paul even challenged them to learn and grow. And so I think that for us as a church, what I would say is here's where we've landed. Regardless of what anybody does around us, we have landed with the understanding that we believe the Bible is the word of God and we believe the Bible has to be interpreted. And we don't interpret the Bible through our cultural lenses. I couldn't care less what the culture says about any of this. It makes no difference to me. Um, I live in a culture, but I don't make decisions based upon what the culture says with regards to what the Bible teaches. I just don't do that because, it, to me, the Bible helps me understand culture, not the reverse. In my own culture, I mean, it's just—so, it's just. Uh, so in other words, if some people say, well, man— Man, I'm so glad that First Baptist is is a is a church that's with the times when uh -huh. it comes to women. No, First Baptist is biblical. Yeah, that's what we are. Yeah. And to us, being biblical means men and women are gifted and called by God to lead, to teach, to preach, to do whatever God calls them to do. In Acts chapter two, to me, the church is birthed. If you think about it, the church is birthed as a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, and no less than Simon Peter. <laughs> says, in the last days, your sons and daughters will prophesy. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, for Roman Catholics, the founder almost of the church, the rock upon which the church has been built, you know, Simon Peter himself is the one who says, I know what this is. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. So at our church, all we say is we believe the Bible's the word of God. We believe the spirit of God gifts the people of God to do the work of the ministry. And whoever that is, we trust God with that.
So when it comes to being qualified, our qualifications at our church are not gender-based. Our qualifications are spiritually based. So I'm sorry, I'm sounding like I'm preaching. I don't mean to. I'm just That's saying, go on. Nope, go on. It's just, <laughs> I'm not it's stop just you. how it is, you yeah. know? And so it doesn't matter to me what my culture says about it. Yeah. It really doesn't. Uh, so, for example, it, it, um, it, if you go back and look at Baptist history, y'all, Morgan Edwards, a lot of people don't, don't remember who Morgan Edwards was, but in the 1700s, Morgan Edwards went and, went and gathered materials to just see what Baptists were doing all over New England. And he traveled down into the South and he published this book called Materials, which I think is a fascinating title. <laughs> and all it is, is he will say things like, I visited X whatever church, let's pretend it's ours, First yeah. Baptist Arlington. I spent the week there. The pastor is Dennis Wiles. The pastor gets paid once a year. He gets uh, 12 pounds of salt. He gets two vats of whiskey, because that's kind of what he recorded. He gets uh, yeah. an, an acre of a cornfield in Farmer Jones's pasture. Um, the elders of the church are <coughs> so and so and so and so. The eldresses of the church are so and so and so and so. The deacons are so and so and so and so. The deaconesses are so and so and so and so. When you read Morgan Edwards's materials published in the 1700s, you would be shocked at how many churches, how many Baptist churches across America had women serving in all kinds of leadership and nobody thought anything about it. It was just, it was just totally non-controversial. It was just the way it was. Shubal Stearns was a Baptist preacher. Daniel Marshall was a Baptist preacher. Their wives were both Baptist preachers and evangelists. I mean, it's just— And Shubal's wife, Martha, actually had a stronger reputation for preaching than he did. Than he did. I mean, so these people were leading and guiding in, in churches— and it was just it became controversial much later when you when you have the modernist controversy in America and you have the the incredible challenge that fundamentalism has brought us and the more extreme approaches to philosophically to life. It has just highlighted all kinds of issues that have just caused so much consternation. And I, I would say even for me, when I think about my my understanding of the scripture, I've grown too. I grew up in a very conservative church that never really gave much thought to some of these issues. So I had to grapple with them on my own, but I'm grateful that I've done that. And now I'm at a church where it, this church feels very much like me. And I'm not saying that because I'm the pastor. Right. It's just, it's just the truth. You know, it's not on a crusade. Our church has a broad tent. In our church, we have complementarians. We have people who think women have certain roles to play and men have certain roles to play, but they don't wave it like a banner and, and cram it down someone's throat. We have people who think that egalitarianism, where you say that it doesn't matter, your gender doesn't matter at all in any setting, but again, they don't wave it like a banner. That's not how our church works. Our church is highly relational and deeply missional. We're a microcosm of who Southern Baptists used to be, mm. you know? If, if you think about our church, we have churches west of us that are way more liberal than us. We have churches east of us that are way more conservative than us that are prominent churches. We're kind of in the middle in Arlington. Well, we are kind of in the center. Well, that's kind of who we've always been. We're a centrist place that allows a lot of flexibility. And so I think when it comes to where we're going to end up denominationally over time, I'm, I'm not a prophet. I can't predict that. And, uh, and I just don't know. I'm, it's one of those things I'm not going to, I will say this to my church members, I'm not going to enter the fray. Uh, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm leading a whole different kind of effort. There's a whole different missional movement that's alive right now that I'm going to pour my life into that's very positive, that is very broad-minded, 
that is theologically centrist and that is completely focused on missional life together. That's where Dennis Wiles is going to live, you know. And if I end up getting kicked out of somewhere, I will, I will never do it in a way that embarrasses our church. And I'm not going to do it because of a combative nature. You know, that's just not going to happen um, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be living in a, in a lane that's very positive and hopeful that I think our church will, will love and embrace. Yeah. And, you know, my denomination, my historic denominational home may change at some point. I don't know. It's possible. But if it does, I'm, I'll be honest with y'all. I might mourn a little bit, just like I've mourned some other things that I've lost in the past. <clears throat> but I'm not at a point in my life where I'm going to go and fight for it. If that mm. makes sense. I'm not. I'm going to fight for the gospel. And I'm going to fight for a, a path for churches to find their way up here on the pavement, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, where we can actually make some headway and uh, and ho hopefully bring a powerful message, transformational message to my culture, if that makes sense. May it be so. <laughs> so okay. Be it. That's great. Well, I... Maybe I, way more than we really nope, want to know historically, nope, nope, nope. but it is what it is. Well, I mean, I think it's it's why we do tell me more, <laughs> right? So I tell think me a lot. Uh, I appreciate both of y'all's time yes. in doing this special edition, and I hope it's helpful for our people mm -hmm. just to get clarity. And real, real answers, not just mm -hmm. hearsay mm -hmm. on what's going on. Yeah, we're not here to be angry, but we're not changing what we do. We're, That's right. That's exactly who we are. And, right. Yeah, and it's I don't know. Some people ask me about it because I'm a woman. Yeah. And that, and I, not that I forget that I'm a woman, but I'm not quite tied up in a lot of Southern Baptist heritage. No. So, um, it's just anyway. Uh, it's just a fascinating thing to watch go on. Mm -hmm. But I think we're mm -hmm. removed enough where it's not. I don't think our women on staff feel victimized. No. Because we're at a place where we're actually empowered and equal partners and just living our ministry calling. So as it should I'm going to say we don't care, but we don't really care. Yeah. As it should be. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening. Thank mm -hmm. you all both Luke and Dr. Wells for your time. Mm -hmm. And we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.